Hello, everybody, and welcome to the May 7th, 2020 edition of Peaceful Globalist Review. I am your host, the Peaceful Globalist, Ephraim Josine. And I'd like to add on to something I was talking about yesterday. This was a kind of final point at the end of my last segment yesterday, which was on Casanera Fairbanks, which... Again, I said this yesterday, I'm going to say it again. That name sounds like Corella DeVille's accountant, okay? <laughs> but, you know, it was on her calling Ted Kaczynski a brilliant man. And if you don't know who Fairbanks is, uh, she she's not a bad journalist, in all fairness. Like, she did some good work with Julian Assange and Chelsea Manning, and she fought for them. And I will give her credit for that. Um, but now she writes for the Gateway Pundit, and she basically just shills whatever the right-wing populists are saying. And so I'm going to read you some of, because like the minute after I finished recording that segment and upload everything, I went to her Twitter and her defenses, oh my god, her defenses. Uh, let's see what we have here, give me a sec. By the way, before we continue, I'd like to thank Twitter Brett Mac, I've never heard of you, for blocking me. I have no idea who you are. <laughs> I was going to read out, one of her tweets is like a reply to someone, and it said this tweet was unavailable, so I just assumed, okay, maybe the guy deleted it. No, turns out I'm blocked by the guy. <laughs> never heard of him. I really haven't. Um, but somebody named Bam tweeted, The Unabomber was incredibly intelligent. Even his classmates at Harvard called him a genius. Well, I mean, he did manage to go to Harvard. Congratulations. Doesn't really justify his opinions. And by the way, Kaczynski studied mathematics at Harvard, okay? It's not like he studied philosophy or political science or something that would have relevance when it comes to his manifesto. He was a mathematician. Now, nothing against mathematicians. I have nothing against them. But they aren't the guys I really go to for political philosophy. That's just kind of me, though. And then Fairbanks replied, he was 100% right about many things. Let's see what else we got here. Um, somebody said, you think it's good to read the writings of insane people? Isn't that like eating wheat old roadkill left out in the sun and saying probably some protein in here? The article makes you out to be a wacko. And then Fairbanks said, yes, as a matter of fact, I do, especially when the person was a scholar with a high Q or higher IQ than Einstein. Um, actually, wasn't Einstein's, I forget if it was like his IQ or his brain size, but wasn't it like below average relative to everyone else in his field? I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty, I think it was his brain size, actually, was eight ounces smaller than the vast majority of the average human beings, but, yeah. And then, do we have anything else? I mean, there, it goes on and on and on regarding, she also shared, like, a Fox News editorial from 2013 with the headline, Was Ted Kaczynski Right?, or sorry, was the Unabomber correct? That's what it was called. And like a Joe Rogan clip of him jokingly saying that Ted Kaczynski was right. And so on and so on and so on. And it's just this constant excuse making. And then when that failed, when that failed, she started framing it, uh, Fairbanks, as if this was just some crusade against banned literature. Which, if that's the case, I'm 100% with you. 
However, again, as I was saying on yesterday's show, there's a difference from having a copy of something like Mein Kampf or the Turner Diaries or the writings of Mao Zedong. You know, there's it's a different from just having that on your bookshelf, which is fine, or documents from Al-Qaeda or things like that, and reading them out and saying they're brilliant. And this is the point I started making yesterday. I wrote a whole article about this today on Medium. It was called, uh, Was the Unabomber One of Those Very Fine People? Making fun of the Donald Trump comment after the Unite the Right rally, where he talks about how there were these very fine people just protesting the removal of a statue at a pre-planned event organized by Richard Spencer and Jason Kepler, where all the footage taken is of anti-Semites holding Nazi flags, holding Confederate flags, screaming Jews will not replace us, screaming blood and soil. Uh, but there were some very fine people. They were mystical creatures, they were. Been three years, still no evidence of these very fine people existing. Just saying. Um, but... Here's how the thing I find kind of odd is, imagine for a second, and I made this point yesterday, I kept making this point on Twitter, and some people really didn't like I kept making this point, hence why I keep making this point. Um, it's, and I posted on Twitter something like, here are four people, here are four mass killers that are just considered to be complex individuals and victims of society. See what they all have in common. And it was Kaczynski, Timothy McVeigh, and the kids who shot up Columbine. And what I was talking about when I was thinking about that was imagine for a second if, say, Hassan Piker, Okay, were to start reading out sections of a book by someone like Osama bin Laden on his Twitch stream and talked about how while he disagreed with 9-11, Osama bin Laden sure was one smart cookie. Like, you can't do that. And we would never hear the end of it. As long as Hassan Piker is still alive, we would never hear the end of it. Um, because they would make sure to bring that up as often as possible. That's why Anita Dunn can't even show her face anymore in public. Remember her? The woman, she was Barack Obama's communication director for a while in 09. And then she said um, a quote from Mao Zedong, which was actually very popular within politics. Newt Gingrich used similar quotes in the past. She actually learned that quote from a Republican strategist. Name, I think it was like Lee Arthworth, Lee Artworth or something along those lines. You know, she can't even show her face in public anymore because of that. Okay? But we are to believe that it's perfectly okay for people to start reading from Ted Kaczynski's book, who was a terrorist, who was, make no mistake, a terrorist regarding. Everything he did, he was, at the end of the day, a domestic terrorist. And you can say society drove him to that point. Well, did society drive Osama bin Laden to that point? Did society drive any of the 9-11 terrorists to that point? Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. I don't know. I'm not saying one way or the other. But my first response is it doesn't really matter. Murder is murder is murder. Terrorism apologetics is terrorism apologetics is terrorism apologetics. 
Okay? So even if these people were victims of society, which, side note, is a nonsensical line in the first place, um, it doesn't really matter. And we see this time and time again whenever the shooter is white. There is no other way to put it. It's whenever the shooter is white. We talk about how they're mentally disturbed or how they're a victim of society. Remember Adam Lanza, the Sandy Hook shooter? It wasn't just a guy went and shot some kindergartners. It was that he was mentally disturbed. Not a terrorist. He was mentally disturbed as a person. And we needed to pass these complex mental health reforms, which were never even introduced, by the way. Seriously, they were never even introduced. Apparently, they were so important. And they could have stopped Adam Lonson. That's why we're never going to do them. Um, <laughs> or how about Elliot Rogers? Elliot Rogers is another prime example. If you don't remember, he's the guy who shot up a sorority um, because women wouldn't have sex with him. That was his stated reason. It was to get revenge on women because they wouldn't have sex with him. And other men were having sex, but not him. And of course, if you compare what Elliot Rogers was saying to what, say, Stefan Molyneux has been saying about women for years now, they're almost identical. Seriously, they are almost identical. I'm not, I'm not joking. People have done this. People have compared and contrasted statements from Elliot Rogers and Stefan Molyneux. And they are very similar. And of course, all those types is associated. Carl Gunn of Swenden. Is it Swenson? Winston, it may be. Carl Gunn of England. That's what he's called. Carl Gunn of England. The guy who also ran as part of the, I think it was the UKIP party. Either UKIP or Brexit. I forget which one of the two parties. Um, for EU Parliament and lost spectacularly. Made a video where he screamed that it was a feminist system that caused Elliot Rogers. They want to either dismiss it or blame society. That's what it comes down to. That is honestly what it comes down to, and you can only do it. You can only do it and get belief from the mainstream if the shooter in question is white. I mean, think about if somebody had said, well, actually, you know, I don't endorse Muslim terrorist attacks, but it is blowback from U.S. foreign policy, which is, by the way, the actual opinion of foreign policy experts, including members of the CIA's bin Laden unit and the authors of the 9-11 Commission report. That is seriously their opinion. You can't say that. If you do, as Noam Chomsky did, just after the 9-11 attacks, you're considered an anti-American. You hate America. Seriously. You know, as, um, who else? There have been tons of people who have said that. And they are all branded with the label of America haters. Same thing when Ron Paul did that. When Ron Paul pointed that out, Rudy Giuliani yelled at him. And said it was disgusting and an anti-American lie. Because we can't consider that it was society. When the killer's skin color is brown, when he's white, that's the only thing we can consider.
That's the only thing we as a society are then allowed to consider if the killer is white. Is that it's all of society's fault. And it's collective effort. No, it isn't. It typically isn't. Ted Kaczynski was an insane person who killed people of his own action and idolizing him is quite possibly one of the most disgusting things you can do. And for that matter, that applies to any white terrorist. You know, Gore Vidal, the late Gore Vidal, spent like the last decade of his life, probably close to a decade and a half of his life, basically engaging in apologetics for Timothy McVeigh. And saying how it was all society's fault that Timothy McVeigh did what he did. I hate those arguments just as much no matter the race they're being made about. But again, notice that all was still considered a serious intellectual after he made those statements. Chomsky was considered an anti-American crazy person. Because again, the person who was um, being who was a victim of society under Vidal's mind was white. That's what it comes down to. That is what it comes down to. And side note, Vidal justifying Timothy McVeigh's actions is quite possibly the most disgusting thing ever. His first major paperback, I think it was a Perpetual War, for, it was either Dreaming of War or Perpetual War for Perpetual Peace. It was his first paperback after 9-11. Um, like half of it is engaging in apologetics for Timothy McVeigh. Not only did he spend an odd amount of time engaging in apologetics for Timothy McVeigh, he also spent an odd amount of time engaging in apologetics for Timothy McVeigh in books about 9-11. You just can't make this up. And it disgusts me. It honestly disgusts me. Because the fact is, terrorism, the actions of terrorists, are always indefensible. They are always indefensible. And to sit there and say that these terrorists were just brilliant minds who went a little far, I'm sorry if you believe that you are a sympathizer for them, in which case I just simply do not consider you a good person. You are at that point a bad human being. If you take time out of your day to defend the brilliance of murderers. You are a bad human being. Plain and simple. Nothing else. Nothing around it. You are a bad person. Doesn't matter if the terrorist you're defending is Bin Laden, Kaczynski, McVeigh, Al-Shabaab. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. And for that matter, think about the major impact on movement this has had. After Black Lives Matter had some violent aspects in it, had a couple people engage in terrorist acts within the movement, the movement itself was primarily not terroristic, but there were still some bad people in it. Um, every politician was forced to either be quiet about them or completely disavow them. Meanwhile, we have, the, I promise you, the amount of violent Luddites in the world, as a percentage, is much larger than the amount of violent Black Lives Matter activists, and Ludditism is considered to be a perfectly valid political philosophy. We even had a candidate, Andrew Yang, run on Ludditism in 2020 as a major party candidate. He had a chance at being president with the same ideology 
as a brutal terrorist. That terrorist, of course, being not only Kaczynski, but various other ones. And are we really supposed to believe there's not a double standard here? Are we really supposed to believe that white terrorists aren't treated with kid gloves? When you just get the label of victim of society or complex individual or mentally deranged and never what you actually are, which is a terrorist, which is a terrorist. I'm sorry, there is no way around it. You are at that point a terrorist and you do not deserve our sympathies. Anyway, I hear something from Ross Story. Rome woman who accused Fossey of sexual assault now says Trump supporters paid her to lie. But they couldn't be doing the same thing with Tara Reid. They couldn't. No, they couldn't. They couldn't. It's impossible to even consider the fact that they're doing it with Tara Reid. A woman who had accused Dr. Anthony Fossey of sexual assault now claims she was paid to lie about the public health expert by a pair of Donald Trump supporters. The woman says right-wing provocateur Jacob Wall. Was that? I think that was the same guy who um, posted. You know how when you reply to something on Twitter, it has your profile picture next to it? Well, Jacob Wall posted after he said, like, I'm a single-issue voter on Israel. He took a screenshot of it, went to 4chan, and pretended to be someone anonymous and said, I don't get why people are making fun of Jacob. Meanwhile, he forgot to crop out the reply so we could see it was him. Uh, <laughs> who does he even provoke anymore? <laughs> and his frequent accomplice, Jack Berkman, persuaded her to cast Fosse as an assaulting, using debates from or using details from an actual sexual assault she survived just after high school, and they paid her to do it, reported reason. The reality is that I've known Jacob since 2018 and that he charmed me. Okay, if you get me charmed into taking into that, if you get me charmed by Jacob Wall, you're oh my god, your standards are low. Um, into taking money to do this, see attached picture of us together, said. Dana Andre and an email to the website, they also had me do something like this back in January. Uh, so what I'm getting from this, what I'm getting from this is that we should all believe Tara Reid. Okay? We all really need to believe Tara Reid. <laughs> I'm sorry, I know some people are going to say, well, you're making fun of the woman who claimed Joe Biden sexually assaulted her, yeah, because there's still no evidence of that, and because there are a lot of holes in her story, and because a lot of evidence points to her not being entirely truthful. So yeah, I'm going to make fun of that. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, but I, I just can't get over this. Really? We're still doing this utter nonsense? Still? Really? We're believing every sexual assault allegation against major politicians? Really? Really? Like, didn't we kind of get over that a while ago? But, ah. Uh, and the sad part is, there are actual political figures who do abuse their power. Make no mistake. Again, 
Donald Trump has, what, 25 women accusing him right now, one of which was 13 when it happened? Like, at that point, when you have all those women, that's, you have to have done something questionable with at least one of them. That's just how mathematics work. I remember Laura Gold had this article in Current Affairs saying, well, eight women had accused Joe Biden of sexual assault. You actually check the link. Eight of them, including Tara Reid, had accused Joe Biden of some kind of inappropriate behavior, but only one of them had said it was sexual assault or harassment. That one being Tara Reid. Uh, she also linked, Gold did, this book written by a guy who admitted that he relied on, or I forget the guy's name, but he has all these books out about major political figures. He's one of those inside the White House kind of people. Um, and it was a book about various Social Security agents' accounts. And one of them was that Joe Biden swam naked in front of Social Security agents, or no, Secret Service agents, sorry, Secret Service, not Social Security agents, as Secret Service agents. Meanwhile, a review for that book in the week found that it had fabricated a lot of information and didn't properly fact check and just relied on testimonies. So it wasn't a trustworthy source. And this is more proof for Tara Reid's story. What is that proof when you can't defend Tara Reid without being dishonest? The answer is that Tara Reid herself must be at least somewhat dishonest. Seriously. That is the only thing you can logically conclude from that. I'm sorry, but it's true. That is really the only thing when your only defense comes from dishonesty. The only thing you can conclude is that you have to be dishonest about the person because the person in question is dishonest. And this is yet another story that proves that they're out for blood. Trump supporters are out for blood and they're willing to make up anything and buy into any nonsensical story. Hence why they've all latched on to this Tara Reid story, despite the fact the evidence for it is objectively worse than the evidence Ford had against Kavanaugh, which I thought was a witch hunt, but apparently we should just keep doing that. That's what they're saying now. And it's just utterly nonsensical. There is no way around it. It is just utterly nonsensical. This whole Tara Reid thing. And now we have even more evidence that Trump supporters are willing to lie about claims of sexual assault. And you trust these people for one second? Really? Really? Okay. Okay. You want to keep falling for them. But I guarantee you, if you keep falling for these things, it's going to be like Sideshow Bob with the rake. You're going to keep stepping on one. You're going to turn a little, and you're going to step on another one. That's what it is. This is the rakes. This is Sideshow Bob and the rake, sexual assault edition. Congratulations. Anyway, this is uh, from the New York Post. One-third of Americans may refuse coronavirus vaccines, according to poll. Of course, of course, because of a disinformation campaign launched by Trumpers to paint Bill Gates as this mass murderer based on completely incorrect information. Um, because obviously, because obviously, because they want to prop up the nonsense lupus medication that you need to take a blood test for every six months, I believe, or three months, actually, 
people who use it for lupus and take a blood test for it every three months. Um, they want to prop that up. They can't have vaccines, though, because they're anti-vaccine, because vaccines actually solve problems. They don't like that. They want you to be sick, and that's why they're pushing this anti-vaccine movement. Seriously. And the guy who came up with the anti-vaccine study, Andrew Wakefield, was patenting, because the vaccine he originally was fighting against was the MMR vaccine, the measles, mumps, and rubella one. He was patenting and working on an independent measles vaccine while he was writing a study linking the MMR vaccine to autism. He would have made millions off of it if he could prove his correlation. And for that matter, he did blood tests without parental permission on 10-year-olds. I think it was 10-year-olds. Uh, so if you're a parent and you're worried about your child being vaccinated, why don't you worry about them go undergoing a blood test without your knowledge by Andrew Wakefield? But no, they're, not, they're going to continue to push this anti-vaccine movement because they want you to be sick. There is no way around it. They want you to be sick. Seriously. And that is why they've allowed this movement to prosper for so long. Those in government have. And base it on utter nonsense. But okay, let's actually read. More than one-third of Americans may not get a coronavirus vaccine if one becomes available, according to a new poll. While 64% of respondents to a survey by Morning Consul said they would get the shot, 22% said they were unsure, 14% said they would not get vaccinated. Obviously. I mean, again, because they're running a misinformation, a smear campaign, in my mind, against Bill Gates... One of the greatest humanitarians on this planet right now. They're running a smear campaign against him. Claiming he sterilized African children and other such nonsense. Yeah, if you actually read the numbers, there was this rumor that he was using the HPV vaccine as a plot to sterilize and depopulate Africa. Meanwhile, even if that was true, it's not. The source for it was just some crazy pastor. Um... The actual rate of infertility and death from HPV when caught in Africa is still higher than the rate of taking Gates' vaccine and developing either of those two things. So if it is a depopulation plot, it's a really, really stupid one. The poll of 2,200 U.S. adults found that those aged 65 or older were the largest segment of the population intending to get the vaccinated if possible, with 85% indicating they, they plan to do so, because they remember, because they remember the big deal that the polio vaccine was. Seriously. And that's one of the things that bothers me when they say, oh, the vaccines were just created for money. Dr. Jonas Salk never made a dollar off of vaccines, off of the polio vaccine. If you don't know, he was a university professor. He had a very modest salary. Now, mind you, he was still rich. He was still loaded. Okay? He was still, like, in the millions at his net worth. But he could have been one of the richest men in the world if, after he made the polio vaccine, he had then patented it and sold it to a pharmaceutical company. He did not. He, that could have made him billions. He didn't because he was a great person. He was a hero. And these people, Andrew Wakefield's never done anything for free. 
Andrew Wakefield will never do anything for free because Andrew Wakefield is a money-grubbing piece of human shit. There is no way around that. And by the way, don't forget Wakefield's role in the death of Alex Floriakis, which he later blamed on vaccines because of course he did. That compares to just 53% of adults aged 35 to 44 and 60% of those ages 18 to 34, according to the findings. The poll also found a split along political lines, with 20% of Republicans saying they intended to refuse the coronavirus vaccine because they're the ones who've been hearing the bullshit. They're the ones who've been hearing the misinformation campaign sprung forth the smear campaign against Bill Gates, a great humanitarian, because they're the ones who have injected this idea that a malaria medication that is very dangerous, that has never been proven to help COVID-19, is actually going to save us all if the FDA would just let us have it. Because they have bought into this nonsense theory that the vaccine is going to include a chip, so small, by the way, if they were actually to put a chip in a vaccine and then make it injectable, it would be so small it could barely contain information related to its own existence. They believe that's going to be the giant star of the New World Order, which I thought was supposed to start years ago. Wasn't Barack Obama supposed to force us all into Hobbit homes? Wasn't that what Agenda 21 was all about? Which was passed, like, I think it was like 17 years before Obama was elected. You know, isn't that what Bill Clinton was going to do? Wasn't that... That's what Rush Limbaugh said on the last day of George H.W. Bush's presidency. That was the last day of freedom. Well, where is the tyranny? Where are the FEMA camps? Where are they? I don't know. I really don't know. And I don't think I'll ever know because I don't think it'll ever happen. However, this misinformation campaign started primarily because they want you to remain sick. It's that simple. You are much easier to control if you are sick. They want you to shut up and die. It's that simple. They want you to shut up and die. And that is why they are pushing this anti-vaccination nonsense. And that is their overall agenda. That's why they've allowed it to become mainstream. That's why they've allowed it to continue to prosper through all these years. That's why the President of the United States has expressed sympathies for anti-vaccine agendas, okay? Because they want you to shut up and die. It is that simple. Seriously. Anyway, here's a story for the reason I found interesting. Supreme Court can put a stop to rule compelling anti-prostitution speech from anti-HIV slash AIDS groups. The U.S. Supreme Court may soon overturn a rule requiring that received government grants for anti-HIV slash AIDS work to publicly pledge opposition to prostitution. So immediately that's nonsensical, but okay. I mean, I guess it doesn't that not make sense, but the fact is, even if you have unprotected vaginal intercourse with someone who has HIV, your odds of getting it are 0.2%. 0.2%. Seriously. 
but you are more likely to get them pregnant than to catch HIV. Or to have an unwanted pregnancy than HIV. That's just a fact. Sorry, that's just a fact. And for that matter, condom use also helps the rate of HIV plummet. But they don't want you to know about that because, well, okay, now most people do know about that thanks to the internet, thank God. Uh, <laughs> but they want to keep the lid on that for a very long time. I mean, there were those studies. The Heritage Foundation, I think, still releases studies occasionally, or some group does. Let's say that condom use fails 19% of the time, and their reasoning was, I forget where this was, it may have actually even been an official source, but the reason was, people didn't use them properly. Wow. And your average reading speed is zero words per minute if you hold the book upside down. Yeah, that's kind of because there's an intended way to use them. I remember I saw Roaming Millennial make that argument, or Lauren Chen now, um, and I was just flabbergasted that she could seriously make that point. The condoms fail when they're used incorrectly. No shit. <laughs> or, I remember another one. I remember she made the argument about um, the morning after pill, and she said it doesn't work because sometimes women forget to take it. Guys, my heart medication doesn't work. Why not? I forgot to take it! <laughs> heart attack! <laughs> like, do you really not see how nonsensical this is, guys? Really? But, okay. And really, prostitution, if we want to talk specifically from a biological perspective, which is the only perspective anti-HIV groups should be coming at sex at. Education groups that are specifically non-religious and get government funding should always be coming at sex purely from a biological perspective. At least that's how I view it. Or I guess psychological might also be fine, depending. But when it comes to STDs, a biological perspective is the best. From that perspective, prostitution is really no different than normal sex. Except for the motivation. I mean, seriously. Seriously. From the actual biological perspective. Between normal sex and sex as a result of prostitution. The only difference is the money in, or is the motivation involved. In the case of prostitution, it's money. It's money. Okay? So, really, what is the point of putting in this rule in the first place? I mean, it's honest to God pointless. It's honest to God pointless. Beginning in 2003, of course, Congress said domestic and foreign nonprofits that get federal assistance to help prevent, treat, or monitor HIV AIDS must have, quote, a policy explicitly opposing prostitution and sex trafficking. I mean, that was, of course, also when George W. Bush was in office and he was reinstating the Mexico City policy, which was basically a global gag rule on abortion named after where it was announced by President Reagan, Mexico City, and was demanding that 
any family planning agencies that receive government funding across the world promote abstinence education and promoting abstinence education locally as well, um, including with his buddy John Ascroft. By the way, do you think they waited until marriage to have sex? Just, just wondering. Probably not. We all know they didn't. One of my favorite moments of all time was Jesse Ventura was talking to a college. And he said, next time you hear somebody say, wait until marriage to have sex, you should ask them if they did the same. And then like a week later, Ann Coulter shows up and she was promoting um, Republican abstinence only policies. And someone asked her that question and they just started, she just started attacking her or she just started attacking the kid. Because the answer is probably no. In fact, I think she admitted um, the answer was no a few times in some of her earlier columns. But, of course, I'm not here to judge people who do that. I'm here to judge hypocrites. Because that's really all that matters at the end of the day. Um, but anyway, I should also note, why do anti-HIV groups need explicit policies against sex trafficking? Hi, we're the foundation for HIV education, and also we oppose kidnapping and rape. Um, okay. That just makes you sound more suspicious. I mean, seriously. The rule has passed as part of the U.S. Leadership Against HIV, AIDS, Tuberculosis, and Malaria Act, which also implied that these groups would be eligible or ineligible for any new grant or program created by the law if they, quote, promote or advocate the legalization of prostitution or sex trafficking. Now, they're probably using prostitution and sex trafficking interchangeably here because that's what they so often do. Um, although, I guess that's fair considering it's a political statement. It's more the fact that they explicitly cannot endorse it. That kind of bothers me. Again, because at the end of the day, there is no difference biologically, which is the only one that matters regarding your chance of getting HIV. Okay, morality doesn't matter regarding your chances of getting HIV. It really doesn't, okay? <laughs> you know, you can make moral arguments um, in, against having premarital sex. HIV doesn't give a shit. It really doesn't. However, so biologically, the only one that matters is, or the only thing that matters towards HIV groups is the biological. So therefore, prostitution, again, is no different than normal sex. And even then, if there were evidence, I don't think there is, but if there were evidence that, say, legalizing prostitution would decrease HIV rates, then shouldn't that by default be something they promote? But of course, that doesn't matter because it was passed by a bunch of culture warriors who can't really think straight. Uh, nobody is in favor of making sex trafficking, or nobody's in advocating in favor of sex trafficking. That is commercial sex that's coerced or forced, legal, but legal prostitution or uh, prostitution between consenting adults is another matter. And from a public health perspective, criminalizing the latter makes no sense. Keeping consensual prostitution illegal only makes sex work more dangerous for anyone involved and makes practicing safe sex and fighting sexually transmitted infections like HIV more difficult. Because um, of course. Because of course. 
I mean, that's at the end of the day, because the people in power don't actually give a shit about decreasing HIV rates. They give a shit about their own ideology. Republicans who promote abstinence-only education don't care about teen pregnancies. They care about their own ideology, first and foremost. Hence why, no matter all the evidence that it doesn't work, that it doesn't decrease teen pregnancies, they don't care. They don't care. Maybe they want teens to be pregnant. I don't know. Maybe they do. Um, back in 2013, the Supreme Court said the pledge was, requirement was unconstitutional when applied to U.S. nonprofits because it violated these corporations' First Amendment rights. But what about foreign affiliates, the United States-based groups, and the anti-prostitution pledge clause applied to them still a First Amendment violation? That's what justices are now considering. On May 5th, the court heard an oral argument in the United States Agency of International Development, the Alliance for Open Society International. Um, and then it goes on to how this is an international HIV group, HIV prevention group, that is suing the federal government for not giving grants despite advocation or because of advocation for legalization of prostitution. And I believe they're in the right. I really do. The fact is, the First Amendment applies to every single person the U.S. government interacts with. Okay, that's how the entire Constitution works. And I randomly got a notification. Um, I'll check that later. That is how it was always intended. That's how. That's the only way that actually makes sense. Okay, if the federal government is interacting with you, the Bill of Rights. That's why Jefferson said rights were inalienable. Okay. Now, if they're inalienable, that doesn't mean that they can be taken away because you're not in the right country. And that is why anyone the U.S. government interacts with, they are restricted by the Bill of Rights because said rights in the Bill of Rights are completely inalienable. Okay? So as such, obviously, if this is unconstitutional to apply to domestic organizations, it should be unconstitutional to apply to foreign organizations that are funded by the federal government. I mean, seriously, there is no way around this. Again, most of our founding fathers were not moral relativists. They believed that your rights were inalienably given to you, some by nature, some by God, some by logical thinking, and so on. Okay? As such, anything that's unconstitutional to do at home is unconstitutional to do abroad. There's no way around it. That is what the word inalienable means. And if you say, oh, well, actually, there's this quote where they kind of imply something else. Well, tell them they should have used different words in the first place. I'm sorry, but I am a strict constitutionalist in a lot of regards. And this especially comes to our relations with foreign governments. The fact is, if you are being interacted with by the federal government, you do have the rights given to you by the Bill of Rights. That is, again, why they are so inalienable. That is why they are impossible to take away. You cannot take these rights away, no matter where you are in the world. That's simple. And by the way, this rule was nonsensical in the first place, and I cannot wait for it to be repealed in full force. Anyway, here's another story regarding sex. House Democrats urge FDA to revise policy limiting gay, bisexual men from donating plasma. Now, if you don't know, we've started putting um, requirements where I think it's you can't have had homosexual intercourse for, I think, it's about 30 days before you donate blood or plasma. 
And the reason for that being because when HIV first came about, we assumed that it was only the gays who were getting it. Hence why it was also started as being called GRIT, gay-related immunodeficiency. Now, as of now, we know that's not even close to true. Okay, the vast majority of gay people alive will not get HIV or AIDS. Okay? And for that matter, even if they do, it can be very easily controlled with medication. Like, seriously. It used to be a death sentence. Now, you can live for years with AIDS. Or at least with HIV, not with... Maybe not with full-blown AIDS. I don't know the data on that. Either way, don't get HIV. Seriously, do not get HIV. Uh, just some good advice. But having these rules no longer makes sense, in part also because we can tell if HIV is going to form. I think it's within 30 days now. It's some incredible number. Um, we can tell ahead of time. So there's really no point anymore to having the old restrictions on gay people donating blood and plasma that we used to. I mean, back when they started, they did make sense. I will say that. Back when they started, when we didn't know what was going on with AIDS, and we just knew, hey, you can also get it through blood transfusions, and also it's primarily gay people getting it. Okay, it kind of made sense back then. But now, with all the testing we have, with all the research we've done, there is no real reason to not allow them to donate blood or plasma anymore. Because what's the worst case scenario? Just test the blood before it goes to the patient like normal. I mean, worst case scenario, you throw out some blood here and there. I mean, seriously. That's the worst case scenario. I mean, again, these restrictions made some sense first, but now we just know so much about HIV and AIDS that there really is no reason to keep them going. Hey, here's an idea. Here's how you fix the whole thing. Just require anyone who donates blood or plasma, and this should be the standard no matter what, to take an HIV test beforehand. Seriously, that's all you ever needed to do. I mean, really? But, okay. Democrats on the House Oversight and Reforms Committee are urging the Food and Drug Administration to lift restrictions barring gay and bisexual men who have recovered from the coronavirus from donating plasma for research. I mean, now it's especially ridiculous because you're actually stifling scientific knowledge purely because of some outdated science. And yes, it is outdated. The Democrats wrote a letter Thursday on FDA Commissioner Stephen Hare arguing that keeping men who have sex with men from donating plasma undermines efforts to find a treatment for COVID-19. There is just no scientific justification for denying MSM, men who have sex with men, who have recovered from coronavirus the opportunity to safely donate plasma, yet gay and bisexual men who recover from coronavirus and attempted to donate have been turned away in accordance with FDA's blanket deferral recommendations. So this isn't even as far as I would go. 
I would go just repeal the damn rule already. Seriously, just repeal the damn rule. Why do we still need it? We don't. We don't need it. Just repeal the thing. They aren't even going that far. They're just saying people who have recovered from COVID-19, who are gay or bisexual, should be able to donate plasma for research. That's just a minor exception in a rule that really needs to be gotten rid of. Seriously, it desperately needs to be gotten rid of. That is how, that's just obvious at this point. I mean, again, it was understandable back then, but all you really need at this point to make sure blood does not have HIV in it is an HIV test. Seriously, that is all you need now. Just give the person an HIV test before they donate blood. Is that really so hard? Seriously. Is that really so hard now? No, it isn't. It isn't. And with the science we have now, after spending millions of dollars funding HIV and AIDS research, and knowing more about it than any other virus, we've done more research on HIV than any other virus, um, we could not justify these old rules from a time where we just didn't know everything. And the people who made these rules, maybe they were homophobic, but to be fair, at that time, the rules didn't make sense. But now, with how much we know, we know that these rules are irrelevant, that they don't make any sense, and as such, they should be completely gotten rid of. Seriously. Anyway, that that is all for tonight. I'm Ephraim, and I'm signing out. See you all tomorrow. If you enjoy this episode, you may enjoy my book, Ramblings of a Madman, Life as an Anarchist. Or for that matter, if you want to submit to me a story or a column to debunk or anything, simply send it to peacefulglobalistreview at gmail.com.